Hello there and welcome to this, the second episode of the No Script Show, a brand new podcast, which is going to be all about modern front-end web design, where we look at what we can build today with minimal dependencies and skills. I'm joined, as I always will be, by David Wormsley. Hi, David. Hello. As I said, this is the second episode. In the first episode, we just orientated you a little bit about who we are and what our background is. This episode will be a, a little bit different, but I still feel orientation is the right word because we're going to spend a moment or two just thinking about what we're going to be doing in the episodes to come. Like I said, we talked in the first episode about what prompted this show, and really that was all about the overwhelm in the things that are becoming, well, will be coming in the web platform in the near future. We've both been users of WordPress, heavily reliant upon WordPress over the last decade. And I think David got the intuition first that, um, that maybe we'd become a little bit de-skilled and there were things going on in the background, innovations happening, especially with browsers and what they're capable of. Um, and we've got left a little bit behind. So this show is an exploration of that and kind of trying to relearn or learn for the first time what we may have missed out on over the last decade. But rather than dive into every single standalone topic, we decided to do an overview in this episode about the next few episodes that are going to be coming. And the reason for that is we, we hope to, in your mind, dear listener, uh, be able to connect all of the, the different bits and pieces and give you some historical context. And there is historical context, and so that's important. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. In short, we're trying to see the big picture behind what's coming from the W3C uh, in recent, well, what has been coming and what will be coming in the future, uh, mostly to save ourselves from getting overwhelmed and paralyzed by it all. So yeah, that's the, that's the beginning and I'll pass yes. over to David. Yeah, nicely put. And uh, <clears throat> it was you really who said, we started to try and list out the topics we'd talk about. And there was a kind of a developing story over the last sort of five years about what new stuff is coming on. And it leads on because it's all as we're focusing mostly on the sort of simple stuff, the HTML and CSS, you know, there's a lot really coming to that, which we haven't seen until recently. And it was me trying to uh, explain why I've put them in a certain order. I realized that we were telling this, the kind of history, weren't we, of what's coming and, mm. and, and it kind of gives you a, a sort of a philosophical, uh, sort of aspect to the whole thing. You know, you can kind of see direction. And that, if you bring up actually for those people watching on YouTube, the, the website, we have got sort of our talking points where we'll just chat first a little bit before we introduce the next episodes a little bit about, um, that problem that I know I have or certainly suffered it recently is knowing, uh, what to learn next, who from and the direction of that, getting some kind of perspective, if you like, on, uh, what I'm learning next and, um, so I thought even if, so let's, should we start with the, um, what to learn? So we, we have limited our choices for this show, haven't we? We're yeah. uh, just sticking with mostly with HTML and CSS. And we are for that purpose, we are ignoring frameworks and platforms. So in theory, it should be a little bit easier. Say, you know, if you were in WordPress, you've got a lot of builders possibly choose from and lots of different tools. If you're a JavaScript developer, you've got lots of different frameworks to choose from or going in their own direction. 
in theory, what we're covering should be easy because HTML and CSS, but it isn't always that easy because I think there's lots of places where you can fall down different rabbit holes because the W3C tell you what is available, what can browsers can do, but they don't necessarily tell you how you should do it. And Nathan, you're, when you started learning, as we did in those early days, just trying to build with HTML and CSS, did you find there was lots of, even though you found experts then, that there was a lot of division between certain things that would be, I remember arguments about whether you should be coding everything up to be fixed or whether it should be fluent, you know? Yeah, there was, there were definitely different debates going on at the time, but I feel that it's much more difficult. If you're making a start now, I feel it's, there's, there's more overwhelm. There's more differences of opinion. There's more different directions you could go in. So as an example, when I began, really nobody was using JavaScript at all for more or less anything. It came along after the fact. So at least that part of the, the jigsaw was out of the question. You know, it just simply didn't exist. It was HTML. And then after that, CSS came along. And, and it, so it was fairly straightforward to, for me at least, to figure out what to do. But then, as you say, those, those little things crept in, um, fluid design and responsive design later, all, all kind of crept in. There were, th there were differences and people started to argue about which was the air quotes, the correct way to do it. And I think because there was no clear direction, all sorts of things broke out, you know, frameworks came along and ways to do things and what have you. Also, just rewinding a little bit, back then I think it was easier to gain knowledge because really all you had to do was buy a book and that yeah. book meant that the person who'd written the book had obviously risen to the top in some area. You know, there was that editorial control. Whereas now I think, especially with the advent of platforms like Facebook and YouTube, anybody can put any content out there and, and in some cases they may be entirely and again air quotes right but also they may be putting out just half the story or telling you things which really ultimately you don't want to be doing so i think the endeavor here is just to is to reset a little bit um you've found a, a list of people that you trust and you've got in you've got intuitions as to why you can trust them but i do think yeah. going back to the w3c is 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 now a really good option and and i i don't know if it's done a really great way of um advertising itself particularly as the as the the, the source of authority because it kind of feels like that's not what its purpose is but that's that's what we're making this podcast about really we're putting them the w3c right in the center front and center and and all of the different things are being are being talked about in this podcast will be related to that so yeah, it, it all got a bit shattered. I think it's become yes. more shattered. And your your genius, I think, really about putting this podcast together was the idea that, well, let's just brush aside all those shattered bits and let's just concentrate on the bit in the middle, the W3C. And, and w we will get into all of the nuts and the bolts, the, the CSS and the HTML and a whole range of other subjects. But today is more about what are we trying to learn? Who are we trying to learn from? And if you're watching the screen, you know, finding a direction and gaining some perspective. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's really interesting is we just decided that we'll try and stick to people that are closest to the W3C, the people who are writing or who are in the working groups are writing some of the spec and those people who are, you know, will also publish the books as well. I mean, I think interestingly, when we, 
when we were doing it, people who were publishing the book still had different ideas. So, I mean, you, you know, there was well-known books by people who told you how to code with tables and then competing with that. There were other well-known books by people say, we need web standards and you need to yeah. be using floats and you still were stuck. But I think what's really interesting to me now, because I, I came out, you know, you know, a year ago, if you like, trying to relearn CSS, doing it through, as you mentioned, YouTube videos. And it didn't help me. And what helped me was starting to listen. And they're free online, most of them, the sort of conference talks that will be given by people in the working groups. People will be mentioning as we go through this. So Jen Simmons, Rachel Andrews, Miriam, Suzanne are all people that I look to. And there's people from, you know, way back as well who are still doing things. Jeffrey Zeltman, Bruce Lawson, yeah. and yeah, Eric Meyer was probably the first person I ever came across as a name in CSS that's still influencing today. So all those people who are very invested in the web platform and contribute in some ways, even if it's just through their blog writing that influences the people in the working groups. So we're trying to stick with those because I, I found a real difficulty going off the... And one example was that when I started to watch some of the developments, particularly from uh, Rachel Andrews talking about layouts a lot, Jen Simmons too, is that I realized that was my sticking point uh, for everything. You know, if you couldn't lay things out on the page as I wanted to in the correct way. And I realized when I was getting the YouTube videos, they made sense of what the W3C were attempting to do over the last decade or more to build up this comprehensive uh, setup for layout, which we now have, which we didn't have before. So yeah, so that's um, helped me find a direction. And that's really all we wanted to talk about, I think, in the first place was the fact that for this show, at least, and it's been the direction I've gone in, I've listened to these people who, if you like, reference the spec, the the platform. And in some ways, it's an interest. You mentioned about there's not any marketing, and it, you just reminded me that there is an interesting thing going on at the moment. It's, it's an aside that uh, we may be seeing CSS4 come out soon. Now, mm. no such thing exists in reality because for a long time, since the 90s, CSS and HTML don't have versions. <laughs> but the problem is out in the greater world, employers will still look for what was the last spec for that, CSS3. Yeah. And even though it's a bit of a nonsense, they're grouping, I mean, so much has happened since I think 1999 was when that came out, um, that they're probably putting something together for um, just really for publicity, I think, you know, and to help people who will hire people to do development to understand what knowledge they may have, because your knowledge from 1999 as a CSS person is probably not going to be too useful to anybody. So yeah, there is, the, there is all of that. And I did see a move going on because we've had a, a decade of, since React from Facebook, we've had a decade of JavaScript first and the web platform is a HTML first with JavaScript coming later. And we're, and I see from both sides of that, there's a, there's a, a bit of a shift, if you like, as, um, in the sense that many of the JS frameworks are uh, using web components and things like that to connect with HTML more. So, yeah, so I think it's a really exciting time. And I, but that's, that's basically the upshot of what we wanted to talk about here is that this show will be led by us not trying to give an opinion, but really trying to, as best as we can, represent to ourselves what the people who write the spec are saying about 
the future of the web. It just occurs to me that if you've dropped in on this second episode and we're uttering words like W3C, that there may be really no connection in your head as to what that even is, because, well, what, what even is that? Do you, do you want to just get into that for the teeny tiniest amount of time and just say what the W3C is? It's the World Wide Web Consortium. Uh, yeah. that's, the, that's the W3C bit. But um, yeah, what is it? How is it? How has it sort of got itself at the center and all of that? Yeah, it's well. I don't know if I could do it justice for the, no. It's, it's okay. It's, I bet it's a pop no, history. Yeah. No, I think, but I can give you a. I, you know, it. It is the organization we look to for the web, and it is still overseen by Tim Berners-Lee, who is credited as the inventor of HTML, which is the center of our web journey. And it's it's had an interest in, because at certain points, it could have very much lost what it's there to do. And it has a, a foundation of the web being for all and on everything. And that's its mission, you know? And in the past, the organization has been fairly loose with what is expected how browsers to implement. And of course, we get no web without browsers. And there were certain points, particularly in the early days, with HTML nearly went off with a, a side group of people creating XHTML because Tim Berners-Lee thought HTML had been done. He changed his mind because he saw as a division. He's a very good leader in that sense because he's able to um, reflect on what's needed. And I think that's the way that this organization has always gone. But I think what's interesting about it today is that now that browsers are not working on a loose spec from the W3C and what we'd expect to do, they are not going their own different routes. They've realized, and only over recent years, which we covered last time, is that if they don't work together, uh, to implement stuff that all developers can use because it will work in all of the browsers. They're only shooting themselves in the foot. So now we have the weight of all the big uh, browser vendors who are also, you know, Microsoft and Apple and Google. They're also the people who are creating devices as well. So they bring the very best of the people to that organization to work through this. And I think over recent years, we've seen this this thing to not, uh, and one example we used before was how we nearly went off a different direction, you know, with Flash. You know, yeah. it was proprietary code, which could have only put in the shell of HTML. And it could have been what we experienced at the web. But the danger with that is that it would have been owned, it, basically the web effectively owned by Adobe, you know, where the worldwide web consortium is there to make sure that it brings all the commercial aspects of that together but because they've got the opportunity to criticize the other work it doesn't go through unless everybody agrees in these working groups so it's a you know at the moment it's been working well hasn't it to to see that the the web is a platform that everybody can build on and be creative on that will work for all and ideally on everything that's the idea the world wide web wants to make things that will suit the browsers of the future or not even browsers maybe a siri type system where mm. the, the web is read to us and and the images from a website are thrown up to us who knows but yeah. that's i guess what they're charged with doing is thinking ahead a system that's going to work that developers can work together in the same direction on anyway I that think, was a long I think, 
think the history of that is really interesting because if you were to rewind to the beginning of the web, there was no there was no real notion as to what it was going to become, and it it probably felt to Tim Berners Lee at the beginning that maybe a a couple of dozen people will hop on this with their giant mainframes in different academic institutions around the world, and you know may, maybe a, as many as a thousand people will end up using it, um, and then of course it it morphed and. And it became much more popular and it, it came down the telephone line and modems and all of that were in use. And then commercial enterprises got involved. And at that point, there was this conflict of what should the web become? Because it, it felt like it, like you said, with Adobe's Flash, it felt like it really could go off in that direction. And that technology was so amazing. Mm. There really was an inflection point there where it could suddenly do a lot more than it previously could. Like, you know, you could play videos and animations and games yeah, and all sorts yeah. of things, which was, whoa, ha hang on, that can be done. Um, but the idea of wrestling it back and having this, um, this objective body that can look at things and weigh them up and importantly, doesn't really need to be in a rush. They don't need to do things right now because somebody suggested that we should do it right now. They can pause and and be a bit more reflective. And on, honestly, we're very lucky that the the founding fathers of the internet had this intuition that something like this needed to be set up because it yeah. could have gone entirely down commercial lines. And you know, maybe something like AOL would have taken over, and that would have been the the mechanism for us all browsing the web, and we would have to to pay to get access to various different parts of the internet. Who knows? It could have gone in all sorts of different directions. But we are. We are where we are now, and it feels like over the last few years, um, all of the competing factions have kind of decided, okay, it's better if we all just combine our efforts on the basics so yes. that everybody's browser can at least do the basics and you know, then we can work on our own stuff. So anyway, sorry, that was supposed to be an aside, and it ended up being like about a 10-minute aside. <laughs> Shall we uh, scroll down on for mm. the YouTube people to our other points so we can actually go on to and just talk about the episodes and why we think these might work. I mean, this is just the main topic areas. So I might end up going on for some time here, Nathan. So just Okay. I'll go and grab a cup of coffee and I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, the, so the next episode, which is what we said we were going to do this time, would have been looking at CSS layouts because probably that's, uh, I, I would think that's probably the reason why we have so many CSS frameworks and WYSIWYG editors, because there simply wasn't a layout system until recently, until we got Flexbox and really properly until we got Grid, we didn't really have a uniform system. Like you were saying with Tim Berners-Lee's idea was sending the scientific documentation. It wasn't, yeah. a, you know, a layout tool and. So, you know, it's taken all of this time to get it, but now it's here. And I think, you know, in order to understand what is coming out or to understand something like grid and layout, we're going to use a talk by uh, Rachel Andrews, who goes back to, I think, 2090, refactoring the way we talk about CSS, because it's got a bad name, I think, amongst people of being difficult, which it is when it comes to layout. That's what I wanted to skip, you know, and that's why I went for the WYSIWYG builders. Uh, I could do the rest of the CSS basic styling and still retain that stuff, but that was difficult. And she, and I think why we'll talk about that on that one is because she does a really good job at explaining that there is actually a logical system where we think of CSS, we often think of something complex, difficult to use, and that's simply 
because we didn't have a layout system. We were using hacks all along the way, inappropriate properties to try and get the layouts we want to achieve. So people wrote different books about how you might want to do it and would disagree. Now there is actually a logical system where everything in the CSS is coming together. And for me, there was a real big breakthrough moment watching her talk. She didn't really emphasize it so much, but there is a thing called internationalization, an attempt to make the World Wide Web actually worldwide, to acknowledge that there are different directions for people writing. If you're Arabic, it is going from right to left rather than left to right. And uh, once you understand that there's writing modes and there's some spec to sort that out, so if you need to make uh, another page that's similar design for another language, it's much easier. You don't have to just reverse everything. You've got a writing mode, which then explains why when we move to something like Grid or um, Flexbox, why we're always talking about start and end block and inline and stuff, because we've set up a system which is no longer top, left, right, and bottom. So <clears throat> I think it's really good to go through her talk next time, just to get an understanding that actually there's a system there. And, and her big claim is, and I, I can see how true it is, is that it's easier sometimes for her to to teach somebody who's never seen CSS before than it is for somebody who has a lot of experience and the baggage of that. I find that absolutely fascinating, actually, because the, the assumption would be that the more you've learned over the last 20 years, the more likely you are to be able to, to understand what's coming. But actually, <laughs> maybe it's the other way around. Maybe having no baggage of how things are laid out means that it's, it, it is easier. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's more harmonious, I think, as well now, because some of the old debates that we'd have, say, pixels versus rems, uh, fix versus um, uh, it's called fluid, um, adaptive versus responsive. Well, to be honest, we know now that all of these older methods have gone. No one's going to argue with them now because they were looking backwards to a time of design where we were basically mimicking what we would do in print. Now yeah. we know we have to have these squishy layouts. So to understand the system that creates these squishy layouts in ways we can understand is that but that also leads on, and I think we need two episodes, and we say intrinsic design. That's basically the, well, we'll look at the talk by Jen Simmons, which we talked about. We called our episode roughly after that, um, where everything had changed in uh, web design. And we can get another perspective of all the changes, which we've just alluded to, uh, the historical changes of ways that we would do web design with the tools that we got and how she believes that we're in a new period of intrinsic design, this squishy internet. And it, what we'll get from her is that historical side, but also she, as a designer, more than a developer, she's asking more the question, what does it mean to be a designer uh, today when we are simply, because the spec is thinking about that, where we are designing for um, browser devices that don't yet exist. Yeah, browsers. yeah, that might be used in different situations. She uses the browser that might be on your fridge or the Siri type thing. <laughs> right, I was talking yeah. about where it talks to you, you know, so it's being that designer and understanding that. So that was good. But she does make a, a couple of points uh, in her tilt. They're little asides. And one of those is about how she felt that we maybe have overcomplicated just some things with everything wrapped in JavaScript and we might be making some of the mistakes of Flash. Um, and I know why she doesn't go very far because that has been a whole period of the last 10 years where it's gone kind of that 
way round. And I think back in 2018, when she was doing that, we didn't have some of the new stuff that we're, that we're leading to now because they were there for a reason. She skips over that in her talk. Um, so there was a point, uh, I think you'll agree, where everybody thought, why are we kind of styling these scientific documents to look like pages? Why are we not just saying, <laughs> these are all made up of little blocks of reusable UI, and why are we not component-based designing? And I think that's what's interesting about this. So from her talk onwards, we can now look at component-based design. And I think there's a bit of a debate there about, even in CSS, about how people have tackled that in order organizing their CSS because the, what made React so popular in the JavaScript frameworks is that it could do it where CSS couldn't. Suddenly, mm. yeah. suddenly you want to have little units which are encapsulated that you can style up independently to build as you're building blocks for your website. You couldn't do that. So we'll move on to that into the next one on component-based design and talk a little bit about that. There is There is something which is now quite popular. It started even before React, which was uh, web web components. Right. Yep. Yep. And, and you almost can't say that today because when you say components, everybody simply thinks of JavaScript components, but actually, well, well they still are to an extent, but this is something that's been building up in the W3C for some time. So um, we'll talk a little bit about that and we might use it. For all of these things, we'll try and add to our third guess, which is the website you're looking at. So uh, maybe I'll do a video which will just look at some of the coding which is borrowing from what uh, Rachel Andrew is saying. And then when we come to uh, components, maybe we will stick in our embedded video, Nathan, using <laughs> a web component, which is just yeah HTML with a little bit of JavaScript in there. Okay. Um, yeah, next episode. And, and then I think this is the biggest change uh, that's happened just really at the end of two thousand and. 23, really, when it's supported in all the major browsers, we have a thing called container queries. Yeah, this is big, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And it's mentioned in Jen Simmons's talk that we talked about earlier as one of our other asides, which is, um, you know, it, she called it the unicorn. We may or may not get it. And we have got it. And it's one of these things where the browser engines have been refactored to make it possible. So we can query the the container. So it does allow, and that's why I think we need another chat, just with HTML and CSS, we could be able to start to build up nice little components. So this is something that the WC3 have been aware of. It's it's lacking with this HTML and CSS styling one document that we could, um, that it hasn't really focused on the needs for people to create these reusable stuff. And I think in our case, mostly what we need is not functionality, but is style. We maybe want a little styled card that we mm -hmm. can style at once and just slot into any design. And we know that because it's containing its size in it, it will respond appropriately to the design we put it in. Um, so I'm talking a lot here, Nathan, but no, I mean, should I just, should I explain a little bit just about that? I think the example of a container query is the one that's used the most. Yeah, I think I think that I think it might be good to just pause a moment there and just explain how it's different from what we've got now. So your card example is a good one. How, how would that work on I don't know a range of different devices? Yeah, so you know where before you always had to take the viewport as with your media queries as the thing that would control the whole layout. So everything had to be self that. 
where you can now take a component. So in your example of a card, let's say you've got a lot of space because in a certain thing, this card might need to be the full width of a screen or something. So you might have the big image in that card or something on the left-hand side yeah. and the header on the right and there's some paragraphs under it and then maybe a button. So, you know, a good third of it will be taken up with the image. But then when you want that same component to slot into a sidebar, you may need it so the image goes up to the top and then the, and all the font sizes change to that. So you can kind of, with all the sort of responsive calc stuff with your text, you can make the text squishy, but you could start to move around the order of things, you know, um, so the, the image, because you've actually queried the container by size. So in the, if it's, you know, at 600, it behaves this way. If it's below that, it behaves in a different way. So you can start to make these reusable components. And I think this is going to be one of the most exciting things, which we won't get very far on because I think combined with some other things that have come out, uh, has is one of those things. Oh yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's the parent selector where yep. you, you know, you can select something that's in the card and have it behave differently. And later we should get container. We've got container queries, the size format at the moment. So we can change what's in that container based on its size. What's coming soon is a style, hopefully at some point where we'll be able to change the style based on that container size, which will be. So it's definitely moving towards a component based way, which is really not being accessible to people. I don't think, you know, that's really why the JavaScript frameworks have been so popular because they're the only things that have been able to address that approach to building sites. Yeah. So it's almost like you could have these little components, these containers, and they're almost like a, a website in themselves in a way, because you can, you can style just that unique one and then repeat it and repeat it and, you know, just amend it so that the image goes right on a subset of those. And essentially it's like the viewports that we've got with the media queries at the moment, but inside each of the little components themselves. And so it opens up this world of possibility, although I, I, I'm actually struggling to imagine what will be envisioned by web developers over the next couple of years. I'm sure it'll go in directions that I, nobody's anticipating, but it opens up the opportunity to really atomize the design and have, have each little bit of the design as something separate and unique and repeatable, which will be brilliant. Yeah, it will. And I think, you know, nobody really knows now. We know that things are in place. And if you get that early foundations of how, if you like, layouts being set up, you know, I think the combination of something which, again, is, is coming, isn't fully there yet, but Subgrid will be in all the browsers pretty soon. And Subgrid with has, with container queries at the moment, will give so many options for component-based styles and stuff. But I think the interesting thing we'll talk about as we go through these episodes is that there is a bit of a push and pull because, you know, we've all gone container mad and we think, oh, the building blocks, but is a, a website really the sum of its parts, you yeah. know? Yeah. And, yeah. and against that, there's an argument about, and it's something that very much connects with me, this idea that we might want to write little CSS and in a lot of case, there's only a few components we need, and it might be so much better as we can do now to use very little code to style our whole pages, our whole sites, you know, right at the top of the document. So the cascade isn't dead, if you like, yeah, uh, yep. in CSS. 
Yeah. So uh, anyway, I think we've gone. I've gone on. No, no, that's enough. great. But it, like the next four episodes: CSS layout, intrinsic design, component-based design, and container queries. That's really that's all about the, the putting the things on the page and how they move around on the page depending upon the thing that you're viewing it in. But then then we're on to something different. So the, the next set, if you like, they're not going to be quite so much about the layout because the next one you've yeah. got is CSS interactivity. So. This really does get into the wheelhouse of what is currently the domain of JavaScript, doesn't it? Yeah, I think for that episode, we'll end up breaking it into two because yeah. we've got so many interesting stuff that's uh, stuff that I think we'll use in our website as well when we bring it in as our third guest. I think we'll, one of the big wow things at the moment, only available in Chrome, but it should come to other browsers soon, will be a view transition, which gives mm -hmm. you a very app like ability to sort of move to your next page as a smooth transition um, instead of just, you know, boop, to your next page. And, and I think that's really interesting. And we'll probably try and do that. I think with our site, we'll try and make our archive page. Once we've got a few episodes, we'll need that smoothly transitioning into the individual episode pages. Perhaps we'll have a crack at that. Nice. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but there's so much other stuff. We've got uh, scroll animation which is, you know, fabulous stuff. You, you won't need a library to do most of the things that people are doing. You know, items as you're scrolling down could be moving from left to right on your screen and other things being affected by animation as you scroll to a certain point. So that's all the interesting stuff they used to need a framework for coming. So I think we'll need two for that. But then okay. also, I think before we can start talking about how we might use this and talking about maybe working with clients that, there's a whole bunch of other stuff which is sort of new. Typography's changed. We're getting color fonts. We're getting variable fonts. We're getting so much stuff coming to uh, just HTML in, in in terms of you know uh, units that will allow you to uh, interact with the, the the font itself in a way that somebody who's into type might do. So I think that'll be a big learning for us learning how to use uh, typography better. And, uh, and web images, again, we've got uh, so much coming in the way of new formats, which are more optimized, but not just that, ways that we can treat, again, with CSS, the way that images behave. Images have always been a bit of a problem because they're kind of an inline yeah, element. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you stick yeah. in and then you stick it 100%. And then, you know, if you set its boundaries, you know, with the width or the height, it's going to squidge in the wrong way. Well, we've now got things where you can kind of put a cover on it and you can let the, you, you can let the available space change. So if you have something in the center of an image, you can be cutting off the sides of that image as it's moving more squishy. So there's a lot of stuff in the CSS to play around with the images and colors. Oh, wow. I mean, I don't know where to start on that one. We've got new <laughs> yeah. colors and some palettes and stuff. Uh, yeah. So. You know, once we just had hex values and uh, and RGB, but now we've got a whole range of, of new stuff and a new way of working with color. And finally, and I think this is where we're going with the with a lot of this spec that's already out there is based on user preferences. And my guess would be, and that's why I think we need to cover it, is that this is the influence of um, the, the browser vendors. Yep. in the W3C and the fact that they also produce um, devices. I, I see a much more of an encouragement of people to choose their own experience of the web. So we're seeing things coming in 
where we can set up the user preferences for somebody who wants dark mode. I think that's going to become common practice. So you can choose your light or dark. And you can see Apple's very much promoting that. I was very surprised with the first site I did that had dark mode to see just how many people came in because it's not the default. Um, and we've got things like motion as well. Yep. Um, so you can restrict, you know, so you don't have to, you can be experimental with your motion. But if somebody set their device up to say, I don't like motion, please make it stop. You can code things up so you don't offend those people. And uh, it's already actually in our site. If you go to the scroll up button on our site, there's a little thing. I've just put it in there, but it's actually behind a motion control. So if you set your device to say, I don't like motion, it'll just go straight up to the top. So great for accessibility. Yeah, it's that kind of stuff. And, yeah. you know, there are a lot of things and, uh, you know, the idea of themes that you might create. So a lot of people want high contrast. And another big thing that we forget again with the, a lot of, I think where the web's gone is to make sure that it really is worldwide. So people are very conscious about, so you've got now got one where you can, if you have a preference for less data, you can, as a designer, then say, okay, this person doesn't want to use up their data. It costs them much more money on their phone. You could say, okay, I'm not going to send them this image. I'm not going to load a font in. They can have the system font. You can choose those kind of things. So I think we're going to see a lot more in that direction. And I think that I think we're viewing the web as very differently, not this sort of image we used to have, which is now this squishy thing that will fit into any device to whatever a user's preference is. If they want it to not to display so much color, if they want it dark or light. And I think that's where designers are going. And I think that's where all of the stuff that's coming out from the W3C is, is kind of leading us to that way. It'll be really interesting to see so this is a complete aside, but it's, it'd be really interesting to see where the devices go mm. as a result of this. So at the moment, we're mm. very used to the paradigm of the home computer with a big CPU in it and the mobile phone, which has, a, a again, a, you know, some kind of chip in there to do an awful lot of work. And a lot of the settings are inside the, the thing itself. So, you know, my dark mode can be governed by um, the OS. Um, but also I can alter the font size in the OS. And it'll be interesting to see if in the future it feels like a lot of this is more orientated to giving an app-like experience, if you know what I mean. So, you know, you just flip the device around and suddenly it's changed, but it's changed in a way which is, is something that's that's better, not something where you lose sight of what's going on and You'll be able to have control and agency over whether things move or not and how much data you're consuming and all of these kind of things. And, and it, it, I really can't predict where it's going to go, but I have, I have this intuition that for companies like Google and Apple, this must be an incredibly important moment because they're completely tied up with their uh, ecosystems, you know, PCs and Android devices and iPhones and all of that. And the more, the more that this, this new version of the web, like Jen Simmons said in 2018, how everything's changed, this mm. new changed version of the web really will open up to those device manufacturers, a whole set of opportunities, which at the moment were just bound inside a browser. And now it feels they can step out of the browser and be a, well, maybe the browser will be it. That will be all that you need for all the things. Who knows? Yeah, I, and I think that's it. The web, you know, the web on everything is the mission behind this, which everybody's behind. And I think one thing I didn't mention, and we had a nice conversation. You you interviewed somebody um, for the, the show 
on this. And that's WebAssembly. That's another thing which I think comes in to this kind of component-based design. I mean, it, it's, it's really fascinating. It's been used in WordPress, isn't it? I think if I'm, if you correct me if I'm wrong to you to, so you can now go and try out WordPress without installing it yeah. in your browser. And I think that's really going to be fascinating. It's, it's away from what we're doing as, as web designers, but where needed, it's allowing this opportunities for things like games or other apps that are written in completely non-web languages to be able to be converted into a language that will then display and could be slotted into your HTML. Um, yeah, you know, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, you know? yeah. I, I, I think it, it, it kind yeah. of like almost like the capabilities of Flash brought into HTML exactly. in some respect, which is kind of going to be quirky. Um, so, so I guess maybe we've we've exhausted the uh, the bits and the pieces for this episode. But really, the endeavor here was to just to lay out what's going to happen over the next, I don't know, 10, yeah. 11, 12 episodes. And, and hopefully, if you view those episodes as a whole, it will it'll give you a real good primer on what's coming up and what's available right now. And um, that's that's the endeavor. I think you've laid that out beautifully, David. Well done. Okay. <laughs> well, let's hope it's not a waste of time for people. So next time, yes, we'll start with the CSS layouts and we'll be really taking what... Uh, Rachel Andrew says on this, and I can think of no better person to, uh, to, to reference for this. Okay, perfect. Well, in that case, we will knock it on the head, as we say in the UK, for episode two <laughs> of the No Script Show. We'll be back with episode three, all about CSS. So get your, uh, get your notepads out, because there'll be, there'll be some notes to take, no doubt. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Okay, bye-bye.